with insight on our body, soul, and spirit as Christians. Here's Pastor Ed Ray. Now, we all can see our physical body, so that one's not hard to identify. Our soul is a little more difficult, but it's not hard to understand that we have an intellect and a will, and we can choose emotions, and we have conscience. That's obvious. But this third part, the spirit part of man, cannot be perceived through the five senses. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place got to dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. The implication of Christians having a body, soul, and spirit is that God works in changing us from the inside out, not the five senses. Welcome to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Today we'll be finishing the book of 1 Thessalonians. And how fitting that the conclusion of this wonderful book emphasizes how God finishes us. We'll learn that it's God who sanctifies us. He reveals to us what we're to do and then gives us the power and grace to do it. Now with today's encouraging lesson from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, picking up in verse 22, here's Pastor Ed. Abstain from every form or literally appearance of evil. The old King James actually had it a little better than the new King James I'm quoting from. Abstain means show self-restraint keep oneself from doing something that would be the appearance of evil. Now, it's important to note that we're not only to abstain from evil itself, but from what other people might think we're doing is evil because they don't understand all the facts. Point. Not long ago, a young couple from our church came. They were visiting the church, and they came and asked me about getting married here. And when you do that, we ask you to fill out a form, the bride-to-be and the groom-to-be. And, and so at our first meeting, I'm sitting down and I'm going through the forms with them and I notice, lo and behold, their address is the same on both forms. And of course, I had to ask. And so I said, so let me understand what's going on here. It says that you're living together. Is that true? Well, well yes, she said, but, but we're not sleeping together. And I said, your neighbors think you are. And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, they see two young people, unmarried, living together in a house, and, and I believe you if you say you're not sleeping together. But you're a witness. I'm a witness. We're all witnesses. People figure out pretty quickly whether we at least give lip service to Jesus and the Bible. Is our life reflecting it in a way that won't be misinterpreted? Now, you can't make everything absolutely perfect, but as much as you are able. For example, if I told you that uh, I go home every day and I stop in a bar and I just drink Coke, and you'll say, why? I said, well, Diet Coke tastes so much better draft out of the container. Your baloney meter would go off, you know? <laughs> 
We've all been given a baloney meter. It is a wonderful thing that God installs very early in our life. Now, it can become jaded and cynical, but trust the Holy Spirit in you. He can revitalize your baloney meter. And, and so that's really what Paul is talking about here, the appearance of evil. Our Christian witness is important. Isn't this fun? Next section, verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Read that a couple of times. Think about that. You have to know what the word sanctify means, to be set aside for him. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is an encouraging verse. To be sanctified, to be set aside for God's use. God's sanctification is quiet, gradual, and it comes from within outward. Why? Because when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, when you say, God, please forgive my sins, take my life, then a miracle happens. The Holy Spirit, boom, comes and lives in your heart. That's what the new covenant is. The Old Testament predicted it in Ezekiel and in Jeremiah. God said, I'll take out your heart of stone. I'll put in a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. I will write my law of love on your heart. And I will cause you to walk in my ways. There's an awful lot of God doing stuff in that, isn't there? That's why when Jesus took the cup and said, this is my blood of a new covenant, we should say, yes, that's my hope. It's my only hope that Jesus did it for me. That's what this says. The God of peace himself will sanctify you. That God will sanctify you. No human power can sanctify. Listen, I wish I could be shouted from churches all over the world. You cannot sanctify yourself. It is not possible. Only God can sanctify a person. That's what he says. Sanctifying means we continue to grow spiritually, a process that goes on throughout your whole, my whole lifetime. Now, he says in an interesting order, whole spirit, soul, and body. Notice we are a triune being. We are a three-part being. This is one of the clearest references in Scripture. There are others, but that we are three parts And the order here is spirit, soul, and body because Paul is trying to teach us that it starts inside and comes out. Now, we all can see our physical body, so that one's not hard to identify. Our soul is a little more difficult, but it's not hard to understand that we have an intellect and a will and we can choose emotions and we have conscience. That's obvious. But this third part, the spirit part of man, cannot be perceived through the five senses. Therefore, when Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born of the Spirit, he was saying, Nicodemus, you're lacking something. Something's missing from your life. The Spirit. Nicodemus, who was the teacher of Israel, did not understand what Jesus was talking about. So, the natural man cannot understand the existence as well as the function of the Spirit because they have nothing to compare it to. When Adam 
was told in the garden, if you eat of this fruit, you shall surely die. He ate of the fruit, but he didn't die for many, many years later. Why? Because when he ate of the fruit, he died spiritually. He was no longer spirit, soul, and body. It was only soul and body. Now, that's why Paul wrote to the Ephesians, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Uh, we were conscious, we had a will, we had the ability to think and make choices, but we had no spiritual connection with God. That's what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. We were dead spiritually. Again, notice that it begins in the spirit. God puts his spirit within us and then works its way into our lives, our soul, and then our body. Now, often in Scripture, soul and spirit are used almost interchangeably. Some of you may have grown up in a church that said, well, there's only two parts to man. Scripture doesn't allow that. Another verse, Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of soul and spirit. There it is. We are both spirit and soul. But the main thrust of this verse is the God of peace himself will sanctify you, set you aside. Some of your translation says holy. That's not a great translation, but it's partly right. Will sanctify you completely. Now, some of you have been uh, up in Northern California, Fort Bragg. Uh, that uh, area is beautiful, but in the early 1900s, when the first people were there in the city involved with the military, there wasn't any city dump. And so they took all the refuge and they threw it over a cliff that went down into a beautiful beach. Not very environmentally friendly, okay? And over the years, the trash heaped up, a huge amount of trash. In the 1920s, it was worse. In the 1940s, it was huge because of the war and all the military that was there. And in the 1960s, finally, we became a little more environmentally conscious and people quit throwing their trasher, but it still looked horrible and they couldn't see a way to clean it. There was so much. But over the years, the ocean, waves coming in, going out, picking things up and dragging it across the sand and the rocks, all the trash that would float, floated up and went to Japan, and then, just kidding, little humor, but all the, the glass objects that were broken were being sifted back and forth across the sand and down into the rocks. So that if you go to that beach today, you'd say it's beautiful. Why? Because the glass got broken down smaller and smaller and it got kind of frosted. And if you go there at sundown or sunrise and look across Glass Beach, the entire beach is like a kaleidoscope of colors. It's amazing how pretty beer bottles can become after a hundred years with God working on it. So that seemed to me as a beautiful illustration of what happens when somebody allows God to sanctify you completely. You're listening to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray, who's been illustrating God's ability to sanctify you. With more on this process of sanctification, here's Pastor Ed. 
Maybe you're feeling like you're a trash heap, just refuge today. Your whole life is a mess. God will take your life and do something beautiful with it. He can take any life because he planned a life for you. It does not matter what age you are. God will take you from today. Today is the day. Going forward, just say, light the fire in me, Lord. Take my life. Forgive my sins. And he will make you a beautiful jewel. It says so in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, 3.17. On the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they will be my treasured possessions. God will make you a treasured possession in eternity. 24, almost the same idea, but in summary, he who calls you right now, God is calling all of us deeper. He who calls you is faithful. Not you're faithful. I'm not faithful, but God is faithful. Who will do it? The God who calls you out of darkness into the light is the one who can accomplish this. Now, Paul said the sanctification of the believers in Thessalonica was going on. But here he reminds us that it's the Holy Spirit who calls us, who is faithful, who does this thing. We are not on our own in this Christian life. Isn't that wonderful news? That God doesn't leave us to ourselves. We just try harder. No, he's called us to be sanctified by him, set aside by him, and he's faithful to accomplish it. He, you do your best and you commit the rest to him, and he will do it. Sounds too easy, Pastor. It's all over the scripture. Let me read you a couple. Jude one twenty four. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Not sinless, but faultless, blameless, because Jesus took it on. Your punishment, my punishment. Philippians 1.6, being confident in this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will do it. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, him working in us. One more, Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Jesus, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The Lord has taken on the role of keeper of your soul, of your spirit, and of your body. He will never forsake us. Okay, now the last part, grace. Verse 25, brethren, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Paul says, I need prayer. <laughs> Remember to pray for me. He is a, a missionary group with him as well as himself, and he wants them to pray for him. I covet your prayers. Pray for me. Puritan John Bunyan said, prayer is a shield to the soul, protects us. A sacrifice to God and a scourge to Satan. The man who kneels to God can stand up to anything. Most of us have much trouble praying when we are in little trouble but we have little trouble praying when we are in much trouble. <laughs> the more trouble I get in, the easier it is to say, help 
God, help me. Good prayer. Verse 26. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. Wow. Okay. I tried to get out of this, because, but Paul mentions this four times in Romans 16, 16, 1 Corinthians 16, 22 Corinthians 13, 12. And then Peter, a fifth time in 1 Peter 5, 14. What's he talking about? A holy kiss. Well, if you would visit a church in the old, behind the old Iron Curtain, the, the church that Pastor Greg started in Budapest, Hungary. If you walked in there on a Sunday morning at Gulitha, it's called, and you said you were from the packing house in Redlands, you will be kissed, okay? There's just no way around it. Doesn't matter if you're talking to a male or a female, whether you're a male or a female, they will kiss you on both cheeks, okay? That was very common in the first century. It is not common in America. So you young guys, just forget it. You will not greet young ladies here with a kiss. It is inappropriate. And young ladies, the same is true. That's spoken by a father and a grandfather. Just keep that straight there. All right, we got that settled. I charge you that this epistle, this letter, be read to all the holy brethren. Uh, the word charge is a really strong Greek word. It means I, I take a vow. I want you to vow to do this, command you to read it aloud, literally the Greek word, to all the church in Thessalonica, that they would all hear Paul's letters. And that started it. This is Paul's first letter. And it continues to this day. That's what we are doing. We just read, we're finishing what Paul asked us to do, read every verse. And we do that here. We're committed to that here. Right here, when I walk up here, I think of this often, down about six feet, in concrete is a fireproof, waterproof lock box with a brand new Bible in it. We put it down there before we built this building. Why? So that we would remember everything done here is done based upon the Word of God, Scripture. A pastor stopped me in town the other day, and uh, we're friends, and uh, he's friendly, and he said, you still teaching through the Bible verse by verse? And I said, yes, sir, we are. He says, you know, I think you're the only church in town that does that. I said, yes, sir. And I'm thinking that's sad, that we're the only people that teach through the Bible verse by verse. Why? Why would a church not do that? Because there's awkward stuff in here. <laughs> Greet each other with a holy kiss. But at least we go through it and we look at it. And as long as I'm pastor, we'll continue to do that here. Last verse, great verse. The grace, the gift, the carice, the unmerited favor of God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. It's all yours. So Paul started this letter with a statement about grace. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now he closes it. Now, he mentions the word grace often in his letters you'll remember it does mean a free gift that you don't deserve. That God, your Father, is in the business of giving you gifts all the time. We have to receive it. Paul said of himself in 1 Corinthians 15.10, For I am what I am by the grace of God. Grace was poured onto his life, into his life, and through his life, and he knew it. He was the worst persecutor of the church ever. He was killing Christians. But God 
chased him down on the road to Damascus and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because when you persecute my children, you're persecuting me. Did Paul deserve that? No. Do I deserve it? No. Do you deserve it? No. It's grace. Grace. Things that we don't, in fact, deserve. Abounding grace, Paul calls it in Romans 5, 17. Those who receive his abounding grace. You have to receive it. It's being poured out right now. God, I want all I can take and increase my capacity for more. I need grace upon grace upon grace every single day. Grace is an enigma. It's a puzzle to me. You see, Paul knew that the grace of God allowed him to be someone he was not and to do some things that he could not. Now flip that around on yourself. The grace of God can make you someone you're not and help you to do things you cannot do without his grace. That's the enigma. We don't deserve it, but he gives it. No doubt Paul would have been considered the most unlikely candidate for this. You and I receive it freely. God's amazing grace, we know from Newton's hymn. God's saving grace is what we normally think of. And, and yes, it is by grace we are saved. But they're, they're sustaining grace that God gives that helps us through those dark times where the the pressures of life are just closing in sometimes. When those things happen that you never thought would ever happen to you, oh, you knew it happened to other people, but I'm not other people. But God has this vast treasure chest of grace for you and for me. This is the way uh, fire takes a hold in your life. You recognize your need and you cry out to God, God, start a fire in me. Or, or God, rekindle the fire that your Holy Spirit once put in my life. I don't want you to leave this morning until you, you've prayed out something of that to God. God, reignite, or God, start a fire in my life. The most penetrating illustration I ever heard as a young man, before I was a Christian, I remember it, about fire, was the story of some pioneers in Conestoga wagons leaving from Ohio on the Oregon Trail and they were going to get free farmland, etc. And they were working their way across the Great Plains. And they'd gone through a river, and they were headed off across the plains about half a day, and all of a sudden in front of them they saw smoke, and then they saw flames, and it was a runaway prairie fire. And buffaloes were running past them, and they knew they were in trouble because they couldn't get back to the river in time. And so the leader circled the wagons in a huge circle, and they wet down towels and everything they get a hold of, and they started a fire, and they burnt the center of the circle out, and they beat the flames so it wouldn't keep going. And then they pulled all the wagons and the animals and the families in the center of this burnout area, and the flames are coming. And the little girl cried out, are we safe here? And the leader said, the fire never comes where the fire has been before. The fire that I deserve, that you deserve, the punishment for my sins was put on Jesus. The wrath of God went on Jesus Christ on the cross so that you and I would be in a safe place for eternity. If you haven't allowed him to take a hold of your life, don't leave this morning until you do. 
Pastor Ed Ray, concluding our time on Grow in Grace with encouragement to take hold of the Lord, the only place of refuge and safety. And on that note, we've made it through 1 Thessalonians, and we hope you got a lot out of it. Get today's study on CD by calling us toll-free at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. You can also listen to the program online at thepackinghouse.org. And again, we're at thepackinghouse.org. We don't like to make a big deal about it, but we are listener-supported ministry. And for those of you that sense God is calling you to take part in the ministry through a financial gift, we'd like to say thanks by sending you Jesus Style by Gail Irwin. When Jesus taught us that the greatest must become like a servant, what was he driving at? Well, we find the answer by studying the life of Jesus and his style of ministry. It's totally opposite to our natural leanings, so we'll need some help. Receive a copy of Jesus Style today. And again, we'll send it your way for a gift of any amount to grow in grace. Give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Next week, we'll turn the page and begin 2 Thessalonians. Join us for Grow in Grace as Pastor Ed Ray continues through the New Testament, one verse at a time. Zion, I build with hands, and in this place God will dwell with man. Sit be healed and the crippled stand, singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your